This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. And if there's a glitch in his performance, that could have huge implications. And Dr. Kavita Patel. That first minute, the kind of the words you choose say a lot about you. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we head into the midterms, what our leaders are saying and doing or not saying and doing about them. Today, we're going to cover pretty broad terrain. We're even going to go foreign in our members only section covering some foreign policy topics. But let's start. Norm, there's much ground to cover. And certainly a topic of of great conversation this week was the Fetterman and Oz debate in Pennsylvania. I want to just kick off by saying that I spent last weekend canvassing and just honestly spending time with seniors who were helping to mobilize kind of getting out the vote and just information about election day and talking to people about Fetterman in the Bucks County, actually in about two neighborhoods in Bucks County, and also kind of a an area in urban Philadelphia that has had a pretty solid Democrat base of wanting to make sure people came out and voted. And it was very interesting. A couple of things. A lot more people were talking about abortion than I had expected, which was probably somewhat reflective of the fact that Fetterman and Oz, it was a preview, really, because this was canvassing before the debate took place. But they were basically all talking about how, you know, there's too much on the line here. And reproductive rights in Pennsylvania are incredibly important as well as in the country. So there was a heightened awareness about the need to get out the vote just to protect reproductive rights. That was a that was a positive. On the negative, and something that surprised me a little bit, was this real just discontent with the Democratic Party. And, and I'll say this, I've, I've canvassed, I think, Norm, you've probably done a lot of like just talking to people over the years and voting, uh, the voting electorate. And I, I was a little surprised because it wasn't Joe Biden or this White House or this administration, which I often hear. It was, we feel like Democrats have let the dem- democracy down. And, and I kind of probed a little bit more. And I had always viewed, you know, the democracies like threat threats really coming from the right and the GOP. I started to hear a little bit of what I think you've touched on on Twitter and also in the New York Times and others on the Washington Post op-ed pages have said that they're just as they're faulting Democrats just as much for the breakdowns in democracy. And that was a sentiment I was not prepared for. And because people people would ask me like, where are you from? And I would say Maryland, and they would start to talk about even what I would say is middle kind of middle income or even higher upper middle income populations in Bucks County, they started talking about their just concerns for the next generation. They said, look, we are, you know, 50 something, 60 something, 70 something. What's happened has happened. We've had to live through the era of Trump. We've had to live through COVID. But what are we handing to our next generation? You know, I've got grandkids and I'm worried that they're not going to have health care, that the, you know, the Democrats are going to let the Republicans take away not just reproductive rights, voting, climate change. And they started just ticking down to things. And to be honest, Norm, it, it made me quite sad. And I came away trying to think, you know, and I had my talking points from my own head, Inflation Reduction Act, biggest, biggest climate bill in history, right? All these like pearls in my like bows in my quiver. I did not think that bows in my quiver, I did not feel like I could represent or combat that sentiment. And it was interesting for me to feel for the first time, Democrats were responsible for the breakdown in democracy. It was just a point of view I had not really thought about in uh, uh, great detail. 
And it came through. And it was before the debate, which I know we want to get into. But Norm, just your thoughts, reactions, and then we can dive into the debate. So I'd have two reactions, Kavita. The first is our mass media, our mainstream media are letting us down. There is still this stubborn insistence on presenting both sides as equal on the belief that to be fair, you have to be just as hard on Democrats as you are on Republicans. And one of the things that's frustrated me about this campaign is that almost all the media coverage, with some exceptions on MSNBC, is about the horse race again. And it's treating both parties as completely legitimate. Every once in a while, they'll talk about the kind of far out attitudes of some of these candidates. But when it comes to, for example, a Carrie Lake in Arizona, it's more about how clever she is because she's so media savvy that she can present herself as just this normal person instead of reflecting on what she would do if she got elected as governor. And the false equivalence, it makes a difference to people who don't get immersed directly in this, who aren't watching directly what's happening with some of these crazies who are running and who are in office. If you just get your information from mainstream media, you'd think that both sides are culpable. But the second part of it is another reality, which which I see also in the White House, not surprisingly, perhaps, they crow about their achievements and there are considerable achievements without focusing on the reality that what people feel is more important than what the objective reality about the economy might be. People think that we're in a bad place, and people think that Democrats are responsible for it as Republicans. I'll go back to the way in which the Biden administration and the Democrats in Congress handled Build Back Better, coming up with a slogan that was meaningless, not highlighting each of the areas from universal pre-K to childcare subsidies to free community college to the child tax credit, lifting people out of poverty, all of which are popular across every segment of the society. Instead, they let it be about whether it was going to be a $3 trillion price tag or a $2 trillion price tag and let Republicans seize the agenda that it was just big spending. And when it went down, it looked like they were inept and not making things happen. So the way in which Democrats campaign, the way in which they govern and send out messages contributes to this problem. And I'm sure you're right that it's not like the people you were talking to are going to go into the voting booth and vote for Doug Mastriano or Dr. Oz. But if they have that sentiment, obviously we can project that people who are not as strong in their beliefs about partisanship may vote a different way. So it's it's got to explain why some of these races involving candidates who are utterly unqualified or far too extreme are within striking distance of winning. Let's kind of dive into all of what I just described happened before this debate that, as you and I know, debates at the end of the day, let's be honest, like debates make for nice, you know, podcast kind of, you know, cable news fodder, but rarely breakthrough, although it this one does seem to have some lasting power. And maybe we can be critical of even how we even how we talk about this just in light of what we just said about this, you know, putting people on even ground. 
I will say my takeaway again, I'll, I'll be the doctor. There were so many highlights in all the major kind of media outlets, print online that, that talked about Fetterman struggling on a number of occasions. Really, I think he even at moments would stop and say, see, you know, and he was halting and had this repetition, kind of word finding issues. You know, reminder, he suffered this stroke in May and has been very kind of transparent about losing his train of thought and having difficulty finding words. I think that there was probably way too much in the media coverage about that aspect, his uh, struggle with auditory processing and speech and how could that impact his debate against somebody who is truly media trained and has had like a globally syndicated television show. So maybe we can dive in on the policy differences that I did observe, because I do think that that's where people at the end of the day, that that's what they should care about. And I will say that his issues with a stroke, this recovery time, this kind of where he is with his language, one, it does not concern me about his cognition. And two, it just shows me that he actually is making a more timely recovery than even I've seen with similar stroke patients who generally are older. But nothing shocked me about where he was clinically. And I think he even tried to acknowledge it. But I wondered, let's start with energy. I actually do think Fetterman struggled a little bit because he has actually been on record saying he never supported fracking, never will, quote, support fracking. And of course, Oz kind of came prepared with this. So I'm reading Oz's words. He supports Biden's desire to ban fracking on public lands, which are our lands, all of our lands together. This is an extreme position on energy. If we unleashed our energy here in Pennsylvania, it would help everybody. Then to Fetterman, I absolutely support fracking, Fetterman said. I believe that we need independence with energy, and I believe I have walked that line my entire career. I have always supported fracking, and I always believe independence with our energy is critical. He got pretty nailed on a lot of the media outlets for how that was a flip. And the moderator at one point kind of noted, because it's public record, that this is opposite of what he said for word, what he said before. And at that time, I believe that his loss of words was not any issue related to his stroke. I actually do think he was trying to figure out how to piece this together. Norm, your thoughts and what you you felt when you saw that exchange. I winced just as you did. And there were moments in the debate when I winced not about the stroke. That's really one of them. The other was just uh, the first question that was asked was, you've been a mayor, you've been lieutenant governor for one term, what makes you qualified to be senator? You know that question is going to be coming. And to me, the answer would have been, I've been in Pennsylvania my entire life. I've been immersed in with the people of Pennsylvania. I can represent Pennsylvania because I'm a Pennsylvanian and I know it. Now look at Dr. Oz, who lived in New Jersey in his mansion, who did his television commercials from his mansion, who created a phony address in uh, Pennsylvania. But not only is he from New Jersey, he voted in Turkey. He went into the military in Turkey. This is not somebody who can represent Pennsylvania. I mean, you know, there are answers that would have been better to nail Oz. So this wasn't just a critique of how he handled his stroke. It was also some of the things that, knowing he has his cognitive abilities all there, there were better answers. And obviously, he got hurt on that one. More generally, Kavita, though, from what I have seen, you know, watching the debate and talking to some of my astute political observers during that, they were dismayed. They thought it was an absolute disaster for Fetterman. 
I didn't have that same reaction, although you couldn't watch the debate at times without cringing, because I know that what happens in debates, if they matter at all, is there's a key moment. And that key moment can be Ronald Reagan saying, there you go again. Or are you better off now than you were four years ago? There are things that you can say. It's Lloyd Benson saying, I knew John Kennedy, you're no John Kennedy, to Dan Quayle. And the key moment in this debate, no question, was Dr. Oz saying that abortion should be, the decision should be between a mother, the doctor, and your local political official. Let's go into that because I completely agree with you. By the way, I'm I'm maybe no shock. I'm team norm on the look. I didn't think it was as disastrous as yet again, like many media pundits on all channels, including, you know, MSNBC made it sound. So I had the exact same kind of reaction. Like, listen, could it have been better? Yes. Was it the worst debate I've seen? Absolutely not. So let's talk about abortion. Okay. To set the stage. For weeks, Oz has declined to give any firm answer on how he would vote on a bill that um, Lindsey Graham has in the Senate, right, that would ban abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy at the federal level. This debate, I think, take, take your take, Norm, interestingly, what, tell me what you think, no different. Let me read his words. There should not be involvement from the federal government in how states decide their abortion decisions. That was his response when asked about abortion. Then he turned the issue on Fetterman, which, you know, again, guy is media trained and has been prepped, calling Fetterman radical and extreme. But then when he was asked by the moderator directly how he would vote on the Graham bill, Oz declined to answer, saying that he was giving a, quote, bigger answer by saying he was not going to support federal rules that block the ability of states to do what they wish to do. That then gave Fetterman an opening. Fetterman's words, I want to look into the face, which I thought was his strongest moment. I want to look into the face of every woman in Pennsylvania, Fetterman said. You know, if you believe that the choice of your reproductive freedom belongs with Dr. Oz, then you have a choice. But if you believe that the choice for abortion belongs with you and your doctor, that's what I fight for. Roe v. Wade, for me, is, should be, the law. And so he did then, just to kind of set the tone then, you know, you kind of highlighted the women doctors, local political leaders that Oz said, which is a continuation in his mind, I think that the federal government should not decide this issue. But I do think that this is, a one, I thought Fetterman handled this incredibly well. And then number two, I think uh, this just highlights for me that I really do think that people like Oz think that people like Doug Mastriano, either whether he's state senator or even possibly governor, they should decide the issue. That's what that tells me. Norm, your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely the case. And if I were, uh, you know, I, I, tried to look at some of the local coverage in Pennsylvania of the debate. And I thought they treated uh, Fetterman better than the national media. The national media defined this debate entirely in terms of Fetterman's ability to communicate. And they set the bar. Whereas when it came to Herschel Walker's debate, they let Walker set the bar and say, even if because it was set so low, he, he crossed over. What I saw from Pennsylvania media was that they were more sensitive to what Fetterman was going through and didn't rip him apart for it. And if I were Fetterman, having knowing that he actually got $2 million immediately after the debate uh, in infusions of contributions, I would just flood the zone as much as I could with Oz's comments. 
because it's about abortion, but it's about more than abortion. It's about the ridiculousness of somebody suggesting that local public officials are the ones who should be there in the room when a decision is made, the most personal decision that one can imagine. And I would, you know, have a scene in a commercial of a woman in with her OBGYN discussing where they're going to go and having some local Republican, you know, race into the room and say, stop, no, you can't do that. There are ways in which you can really put this as the agenda item for the last two weeks of the campaign, which abortion has not been for the most part. And if we're looking at a race that's relatively close and we're looking at marginal votes, that could make the difference. Not only could it make the difference, but I think I mentioned that canvassing and just comparing notes with people who are canvassing and talking to folks, everything, since I spoke to people before the debate, I'm going to be going back to Pennsylvania next weekend, the weekend before the election. And I think that's going to be prime time to kind of see Norm. So not only will I bring some of those thoughts back for our episode that week, but one aspect that was different, and I think it's because I was a doctor, so people were asking me, there was a lot more interest in how this could spill over into other parts of medicine, which I was a little surprised by, but in a good way, because I do think voters see this is not just about, quote, women who want to have abortions, or even some of what I think has been publicized around women who are seeking fertility assistance and you know having assistance and getting pregnant, and that that could be a gray area. People saw this as what's next once they open up into this. And as they one, I have two families separately talked about Florida and DeSantis and kind of the attack and Abbott and the attack on care for transgender children. And they said, what's next? That certain children of a certain race, ethnicity background shouldn't get cancer care, you know, and, and it, you, it, the first instinct I had was no, no, no. This is probably like the maximum ridiculousness that we could see. But then I paused and I said, everything's on the line. And I don't think that's. I wasn't being um, alarmist. I, I actually do really think that's important. And so I will be watching, you know, they'll play a bunch of clips. I'm 100% sure that both Democrats and Republicans are pouring so much money into Pennsylvania that this is not going to be an issue. Let's see if we can cover one more race. Gretchen Whitmer, current Michigan governor, and Tudor Dixon, um, her Republican opponent. And I do think that this was, an, again, so much of the issue was around abortion, but there are so many other issues voting rights. So let's cover a couple of things. Let me so, speak back to, so Michigan Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer, they went at it on abortion rights, as I expect them to, because Whitmer has backed a referendum on ballots in the fall that would amend the state constitution to guarantee abortion rights. Um, and then Dixon responded, if, if that referendum is approved by voters, quote, it would be the most radical abortion law in the entire country. The only place that has something similar is China and North Korea. But I literally, when I watched that, Norm, I, I, I actually had to pause and, and laugh. And, and I thought the best was Whitmer kind of literally just straight cold face. None of what she said is true. And, and then just went. And it's proposal three. It's a measure on the ballot to your point about why every race is so important down to the city council and county board of supervisors races. Every race is important, but proposal Prop 3 measures on the ballot uh, after a petition drive that sought to amend the state's constitution because Michigan, like Arizona, has an old law, a 1931 law banning abortion with no exceptions except for cases of rape and incest. That law, like in Arizona, has been dormant, 
but of course was revived. And so this is this was their second debate, and they've already had voting underway. So obviously a lot more people will probably cast their ballots on election day. And that they had Whitmer and Dixon in six, it was like a five, I think, point difference, but Whitmer was leading and Dixer, Dixon is the one that has to make up this ground. But also she's a conservative Dixon, conservative, you know, kind of media trained commentator. She's got the winning uh, endorsements of Secretary Betsy DeVos and has actually had an endorsement for none other than Donald Trump and has been able to kind of lean into everything that Whitmer has done on the pandemic, cultural issues. She's also proposed a policy that would ban transgender girls from competing in sports with the gender they identify with and has pretty much looked to Ron DeSantis as some sort of mentor, which don't say gay laws, et cetera. Talk about any observations, maybe in addition to abortion, they covered, you know, election deniers. We talked about schools, school shootings, book bans. I think that this debate was not only substantive, but was a display of here is how how much is on the line behind even what abortion gets the top two to three issues commented on. So much more probed in this debate by uh, Dixon and Whitmer. So more broadly, Kavita, we know that uh, almost 300 of the Republican candidates, the nominees for the House, the Senate, governorships, secretaries of state, attorneys general, are election deniers. We know that Donald Trump called Kim Masters, the Republican candidate for the Senate in Arizona against Mark Kelly, someone he's endorsed, but criticized him for not going after election denial more vigorously than he did, even though he's an election denier. This is on the ballot. It's a question of whether we're going to have free and fair elections, and governors matter enormously here. Tudor Dixon is not a conservative, I would say. She's a radical extremist. She is unfortunately very much in the mainstream of where the Republican Party is right now. I would say Whitmer remains a favorite to win, but that race is closer than it should be given her radical positions. And I thought in the debate, Whitmer did well at pointing those out as uh, Dixon tried to bob and weave on a lot of this stuff and obviously wanted to change the subject. And let's not forget that Michigan is the place where a group of monsters conspired to kidnap her and then assassinate her, some of whom have now been convicted of that. This is all about election denial. And in a state where there is a very radical militia-like force, including people who stormed the Capitol with their assault weapons, this is a combustible place. And the last thing the state needs, the last thing the country needs, is somebody like Tudor Dixon giving legitimacy to these kinds of things, which she would almost certainly do. Now, it's true. You look at a Tudor Dixon, you look at a Carrie Lake, Some of the Republican candidates are very slick out there in terms of how they present themselves. They don't appear to be radicals, but they are. And that's one of the great challenges we face, and they need to be covered that way. And we got to be a little bit nervous as we get closer and closer to this election that a lot of voters aren't going to see it. That's what I worry about too, Norm. And and I want to just kind of end before we go into the members only section where we're going to cover some foreign policy issues. 
I just want to end with, again, I, I, I think there's something that just strikes a chord with me around these book bans. I know they've been around for a while. I still feel like this great sense of outrage, nor when I see those piles of books and pictures of just in my mind, great American classics and everything from Zora Neale Hurston. I mean, just things that make no sense to me. And she, this was a moment where Dixon decided that she wanted to go on the offense saying parents are outraged about quote, books describing how to have sex. You know, if you have material, these are quotes, if you have material in your school that is something you can't read to a child at a bus stop because you would be arrested because it's pornographic, then it should not be in a classroom. Think about this, Norm, the balls on people to actually say, to go on the offensive and actually do the fear-mongering, fear-mongering not just about our children's education. There was a part of me that was like, there is actually nothing wrong with sex education. And in fact, there is, this has nothing to do with it, but this is exactly where it's, it, once people have this sense that books are having to be, you know, litmus tested by local school boards and that people have the right to kind of kick out a book because they feel like it might, quote, teach sex or have sex. How do we actually teach children about sex and about kind of their, about their health and their well-being? And it's amazing because Whitmer responded appropriately that Dixon was trying to wedge communities against each other. This is dangerous. This is selfish. We need to bring down the temperature and solve the problem to make parents sure parents are involved and students feel comfortable and we're giving them a robust education. And I'll close on this. I have been listening. I can't, I can't recommend this more highly. I've been listening to it on my long drives to and from work. It's Nina Totenberg's memoirs of, about her friendship with Ruth Bader Ginsburg and, and friendships in general. Um, and it's called like, you know, Dinners with Ruth. And that's to celebrate their weekly dinners that they would have that celebrates their friendship. She recounts a moment when a case came before the Supreme Court, and she was still a very new, newly appointed justice. It had to do with parents bringing cause against a school district where two 13-year-old girls who had had a false claim reported about some sort of drugs or substances on their bodies were actually asked to strip down and were asked to take their clothes off in public. And in the end, the court came to such a kind of a neutral decision where they basically said that the school had the right to act on information, but they should not have done this in a way that, you know, humiliated the girls, et cetera. And so there were no, there were no civil or monetary penalties at any of the court levels awarded, but just a strong rebuke about this. But Ginsburg in a classic kind of moment in her dissent, she dissented with the decision just because she felt like the school should have been held responsible and she had the ability to kind of write this in her in her opinion basically said like there's something so tender even at a very young age and we need to teach children we need to educate girls about their bodies and all of this could you imagine Normie walking into my daughter is going to be in first grade next year I, I want her to understand like how she's changing. Could you imagine what would happen if I suggested, if I were in the state of Pennsylvania, if I were in the state of Texas, and I suggested that we bring in a book to explain like how bodies are changing and what's happening? That's what's on the line. And I don't, I don't know if it's just me and kind of this emotion of like how this is all wrapping up in 2022. <laughs> but that's why, you know, I could, that's, that's why these words do matter. And I hope voters hold them responsible on November 8th, no matter whom the candidate or where you are. So if you don't want to teach people about sex, then you're going to have more pregnancies. You're going to have more unwanted pregnancies. Absolutely. You're going to have. And so more trauma, it's, more this is handmaid's tale taken to the extreme. It is. It is. But I'll even take it back uh, a little bit further to what you were saying earlier about uh, 
where uh, doctors uh, uh, having others intervene in these medical decisions. It takes me back to eugenics. You know, this was a country that for decades thought that eugenics was appropriate. We could get back to that. And then I'll just mention one other thing because it also triggered a, a strange memory in me. And that is the movie Carrie, which is kind of a horror movie. It's a Stephen King movie and Sissy Spacek was marvelous in it. There's a scene in that movie where she's in the shower. She's a, a 13 years old and has her period and has no idea what it is and freaks out about it. And of course, the other girls make fun of her, which is part of what changes her uh, into the monster that she became. But it just struck me that, you know, here was somebody who had no idea because nobody had told her what happens to a, a, a girl's body when puberty hits. And if you, you know, it doesn't mean that people are going to end up creating fires or killing others, but it means an awful lot of heartache will take place if people don't understand anatomy and the reality of lives. And that's and, and, where we're going. And that's where we're going. And that's exactly that thought triggered for me that Ruth Bader Ginsburg moment in this book. And every day, how much I see the end effects of this trauma from not having a moment to understand oneself or one's rights and that independence. All right. Well, more to come. I want to thank our listeners. And uh, if you liked what you heard, please pass this along on social media. Tell your friends about it. Ask your friends to subscribe and listen on all major podcasts. And look forward to our next episode, which will be the one before the election coming at you November 3rd. Thank you. Thank you.